All right, welcome on back to another edition of, a, I guess, a new edition of a joint episode. It is Spencer Schultz, Exit 52, joined by the venerable, not the real, but the fake Corey Kinnon from Browns Wire 2, ready to preview this Browns-Ravens game here. Corey, how you doing, my friend? We're, we're dialing it up together, a little little uh, like the, the shaking hands Arnold Schwarzenegger meme here. Browns-Ravens fans are doing a joint episode together. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. I think this is this is our third time linking up now. Third time, so. You oh, know. you're you're my Browns plug for sure. I'm not. I'm <laughs> you're not my Ravens. You go we're, we're basically co-hosts. Yeah, basically co-hosts. So, it's good to be here. You know, Thursday night football is a drag right now, so I got nothing better to do. So, and I'm always just you know pleasured to 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 be able to join Spencer in that 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 flow of a hair on any to any chance I get. So we're both we're both flowing, man. We're both quaffed. I'll, I'll give. I just got a, I got a haircut yesterday, so I'm. I'm I got fresh. mine today, so we're just fresh. We're just fresh <laughs> together. Ready to go. Uh, so obviously we're here to preview this Sunday, one o'clock classic AFC North, just right in the good old sunshine of Cleveland, Ohio. The Baltimore Ravens at two and one will be traveling to play the Cleveland Browns in the heart of the, the quote unquote mistake on the lake, rock and roll hall <laughs> of fame. The greatest, the greatest little area that I love personally. I, I love melt. I love uh, the grilled cheeses out there, all that good stuff. So the Ravens, I believe, are currently, I'm trying to pull up odds here. Uh, I think last time I checked, we're three-point underdogs, if I'm not mistaken. I'll have that in just a second. We're watching some Thursday night football, as Corey mentioned. Lions absolutely laying it on the Packers. So we have the Baltimore Ravens as two-and-a-half-point underdogs on FanDuel. I assume most other books, 124 on the money line, on the positive side, Brown's a little bit slightly favored. Over under in this game, 40 and a half for you degenerates out there. I know gambling is legal in Ohio and Maryland, so we can have that uh, that that handshake as well there. So with that, I'm really excited to be here with you, Corey, because you you love to grind the tape, love to get into the ball. I know you're you're kind of like myself. We like to get into a little bit of the analytical side, a lot of the film side, make sure that we use all of our resources to make sure we back our opinions and, and be a little bit more objective and subjective. So uh, I think we wanted to start on the Browns offensive side of the football, the Ravens defensive side of the football. The Browns have, um, to my knowledge, just really continued. It's the, the growth of Watson and Steven, Kevin Stefanski's offense, I guess, through these first three games. Now we have a little bit of a sample size. My first question to you, Corey, what do you see in terms of direction? Obviously, Stefanski been there for a while. His offense has its patterns and tendencies, and it's a very – the overtones of the offense, what Stefanski wants to do, always the same. It's it's a we're going to play our type of game. So what have you seen so far this year that's maybe looked different or unique or in terms of growth at all? Yeah, so, so the big thing this offseason was, you know, those, those last six games of, of 2022 um, was just as much about, you know – Deshaun Watson knocking off rust, quote unquote, you know, that's the, the, the term you hear thrown, thrown around. He had played football in over a year, 500 and some days, whatever. He's knocking off rust. Uh, but I, I feel like it was also just as much about Kevin Stefanski, a play caller who has only called plays for Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, Jacoby Brissett, to then flipping that to a quarterback like Watson, who can clearly do a lot of different things than those other three guys I just mentioned. So I think those last six games were just a, a, about as much as about – as much about Stefanski in, in, in the terms of like he can't flip his offense on his head, you know, on the fly from week 10 to week 11, you know, like like I think people expected they'd be able to just like automatically click and go. Uh, but, you know, Stefanski with with 
Cousins, Mayfield, Brissett had to run a lot of wide zone, run action off of wide zone, boot, uh, a lot of just, you know, half field, high, low reads, get, you know, three-step drop, get the ball out. And now you have this quarterback that uh, takes sacks, like that he likes to hold the ball. He likes to try to let things develop down the field. He likes to, to use his legs and get outside of structure, which hurts him a lot. I mean, he's one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL since he's been in the league and probably three quarter of those are on him. Like, and I think he would say, yeah, that's probably he's willing to eat those. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But then they go into this off season and the the talk was these two are sitting in the lab together, all off season, Stefanski Watson. They're knocking these things out. What does Watson like to run? What does Stefanski think he can add wrinkles off of that and blah, 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 blah. But through the first two weeks, it was kind of, uh, it felt like they just fell back onto some old tendencies of, of outside zone. We'll spam boot off of outside zone, which I hope we don't see anymore because NFL defenses since 2020 have learned how to read it. Like it was really popular in 2020. Everybody was doing it. Shanahan. Sock plays were open down. Yeah. But now that backside end is just teeing off on the quarterback. He's not trying to keep backside contained anymore. If he, if they see run action to the right, that backside end or run action to, like to play side, that backside end is just crashing the quarterback. So it, it, it's, it's pretty much a non-existent play anymore. And they've, tr- they've tried to fall back onto it a little bit. But now you also don't have the best outside zone back, the best, the back with the best eyes in the NFL to fall back onto anymore. The machine. So, right, right. You have to adjust to that. And I think we saw a little bit of in the Titans game. I, I still think they ran way too much outside zone. And they're going to. I, I get it. But you also don't have Jack Conklin playing right tackle anymore. You have Dewan Jones, who's six foot eight, 375 pounds. He's not getting wide. Like, He's not doing it. Like he's not getting there. Reaching, reaching is tough for him in in space. Right. Some of those things, especially if he doesn't have, if he has a a gap down to start with, somebody's inside shoulder, all that stuff. He's he's not going to be able to reach them super quickly or confidently right now. Right, and now you have Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt as your running backs as well, who are very much more. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my head down and I'm just gonna hit a hole and, rather than Nick who so light on his feet at his size, such good eyes where he could just find backside cuts and where it looked like there was nothing front side. He'd, he'd just put his foot in the ground and find 10 yards backside. Like you don't have that kind of back anymore. And and so I think we, we saw a little bit of it. And now the quarterback as well can run read option. He can run some split zone stuff. You, you can do a lot of, Bash, a lot of seeing some, some quarterback right. counters type stuff last week against the Titans. Right. And so like inside zone gap power, fits the personnel better from offensive tackle to quarterback to running back. And so we've seen some, some movement towards that. Like traditionally the past two seasons, they ran inside zone like 30 times each of the past two seasons. They don't run inside zone a lot. It, it's picked up this year. And I think that's for good reason, because again, you can run read option off of inside zone. You can run run action without the quarterback having to turn his back. You can run run action without an offensive lineman having to take, you know, three steps wide before he can even think about setting. Uh, which which was a huge force fumble in that Steelers game because Jed Wills they're they're running run action he's not he's not setting so Alex Highsmith just burns him to the corner because he's he's not setting um, in that that kind of look so I, I think they fell back again and the Bengals game was nasty weather sure you're gonna fall back in the game Joe Burrow clearly wasn't right you had a two score lead for most of that game sure fall back onto your running back great they couldn't do that in the Steelers game and it bit them and I think they finally went back to the drawing board heading into the Titans game and then that's when they started to. Simplify. I'm back. No, sorry about that. My mic went out. Uh, so where they can simplify some passing concepts. I think they, they did that a little bit last week because clearly Deshaun Watson was struggling um, in that in that Steelers game, uh, but also you know adjusting some tendency breakers in the run game as well. Definitely, and and I really tried to look at that Titans game because of removing Nick Chubb, who for my money is the best 
the best runner, the best technician, as well as arguably, really arguably the best athlete at the running back position in general. The combination of technical skill, like you said, patience, vision, explosiveness, uh, just always able to make a a five-yard gain, an eight-yard gain on those cutback lanes, being able to see things, make defenses have to respect. I mean, what I kind of wrote down, I was like, hey, you know, a lot of the same Stefanski stuff. It's, It's heavy under center. You got some zone, some boot. The gun run is really the added element with Watson with the option game. Um, last week saw a good bit of two back looks, whether it was Elijah Moore and a tight end or um, some of those jet sweeps with Elijah Moore. So really manufacturing the ball to him as someone that they want as a ball carrier in space, uh, tried to try to really spend time on, on that Titans game, like I said. So um, the Ravens matching up to that, you know, really tried to build themselves to delete zone heavy teams. I think the Tennessee Titans a couple years ago, gave them PTSD and they've tried to draft athletes up front. They obviously play the the Browns. Savansky has loved it so much. The Steelers, more of a zone heavy team for the most part, a little bit. The Bengals have started to mix in some counter and they'll make, they've mixed in more now, but really the Ravens have tried to set that, that uh, ability to, to stay strong on the front side and have good enough athletes to crash late, but crash explosively. Um, so I'm really curious about Jadevi and Clowney in that matchup as we're specifically talking about. Um, the other kind of things I wrote down was like, hey, you know, Elijah Moore reminds me, hey, what the Ravens are doing with Zay Flowers, we'll get to that, but sweeps, touches, screens. And the one thing that always stands out to me whenever I watch the Browns, and I honestly forget about it until I go to rewatch and like rewatch a full game, is you mentioned, you know, now you don't have Nick Chubb who adds an element of fear for those those outside linebackers, but Stefanski's tight end and back and double tunnel screen and misdirection screen game is such a weapon. And what I saw a lot in that game was just, it's just a, such a shift in Deshaun Watson is it's like a ball fake offense. It's like a, a little bit of like some basketball element to it. So much misdirection, so much trying to, to have eye candy with motion or some hard offensive line movement one way to leak out the other way. So um, David Njoku, so effective on screens, getting him the football in space a little bit. So I had, had Deshaun Watson really looked like a point guard. Uh, I was really thrilled. To, to watch them run some of the QB run stuff with that bash concept, running some of that quarterback counter, things like that. Um, to me, Watson just looks really athletic again, really quick, strong, fast, confident as an athlete. And, hey, we, we saw him take some sacks. We saw him last week have a weird, you know, dumb, dumb play, kind of like Josh Allen. I think they were playing each other. I think it was the Texans and the Bills, and Josh Allen chucks the ball over his head. Watson kind of tried to chuck a ball back to Elijah Moore, ends up you know, losing a big chunk of yards. I think it was like second and 28 after he did that. Um, it's, it's not exactly, though, you know, the bow and arrow Deshaun Watson. Uh, it it kind of seemed like to me it was through the prism of the Titans defense, but the Browns really wanted to set up just a lot of hitches, quick timing, bang, 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 speed outs, quick outs, lulled the Titans to sleep a little bit, have their DBs who aren't maybe you know, the best group in the NFL by any means. Um, to start really sitting on those. And then you see a blown coverage to, you know, over top to Namari Cooper. You see Deshaun Watson start to look like the bow and arrow, Deshaun Watson slipping a ball into Donovan Peoples-Jones. So That ball was insane. To DPJ it was, was, and it was a really nice uh, late track. He didn't, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't track that ball at all. He just let it fall into his basket. Um, so DB, who was playing kind of trail tech, didn't really have any indicator of where the ball was coming. So um, what, what was interesting to me, Corey, and what I wanted to talk about a little bit too, is that I, I've just tried to go through some some basic charting stats and stuff. I saw uh, PFF had that the Browns have thrown intermediate and specifically intermediate middle 
Uh, very, very low, which is weird because I think Watson yeah. really loves to work. And, and I saw it in that game. Loves to work dagger, loves to work in breakers, starts getting confident, throws a really nice catchable tight slant, like three-step slant ball. Can let guys run after the catch, things like that. So thought I saw, started to see that a little bit later in the game, but that's only been 21% of the Browns pass attempts, which is a lower number. It's not like some outlier or anything. Um, only over 10 yards on 34% of, of passing attempts in general. Uh, it was a very, it's a very methodical offense, and we'll, we'll kind of get to the other side of the ball eventually. But it feels like the Browns in this stage to me really want to score about 20 points exactly. Like They really want to have two touchdown drives, two field goal drives, maybe one more of each in there. They're not looking to go light it up offensively necessarily. They want to sustain. They want to be confident in control, play their game because of what their defense is doing right now, I feel like, so much. And they can get out, play from ahead, and feel confident doing so. So I um, just wanted to hear your thoughts kind of on, on maybe the middle of the field, Deshaun Watson, you know, in-breakers, things like that, and, and what you've seen maybe in that realm. Yeah, so if you go back to the Steelers game, uh, there's a lot of chunks over the middle of the field that were left on the field. You know, like just some of your basic three beaters as well. You know, you got a, a, a vert and a crosser coming in behind that vert, and you're just trying to force, you know, that safety to choose. Either is he going to sit or is he going to double the, the over top? Uh, and Watson just did, didn't see it. Uh, you know, they, they had Elijah Moore lined up in the backfield and they put a double move on a linebacker um, that, that he was wide open at the seam and Watson and, and, and I think Wyatt Teller a lot of pressure uh, right in Watson's face. And he, he couldn't see it. So I, I think they left a lot on the field. I definitely, you know, I saw a dig route last week. I think it was uh, to, I want to say it was to Elijah Moore probably or TPJ, one of those two, but they did hit a nice little dig route last week. And I think that's encouraging, uh, but I'm also kind of like, they're, they're throwing a lot. I, I, what I not necessarily 50, 50 balls, but a lot of boundary footballs, um, which is really interesting to me based on just the wide receivers. They have a lot of like, cover. It feels like a lot of covered passes, tighter ish mm -hmm. windows to the perimeter. Yeah. And they aren't running a lot of man beaters, which is something that's going to bite them. If they don't start running some switch releases or using more motion pre-snap and things like that. Cause uh, I mean, Amari Cooper had a phenomenal game last week, but I wouldn't say, other than the blown coverage, even that big one he should have scored on that they said he stepped out of bounds on mysteriously. Uh, I wouldn't say he was necessarily open on that. So like he's still clearly really good, but I think he's lost a step vertically where he's not separating as well. Donovan Peoples-Jones has never separated well. Elijah Moore has, and he always has, and he still is this year, but um, they're, they're just not creating a ton of separation. And so I, I'd like to see some more of that. Um, kind of those switch releases, some motion, um, you know, maybe creating a little bit of rub over the middle, some things like that to, to kind of, to kind of free some dudes up. So uh, if they don't, you know, I might not bite them too bad necessarily this week, especially, I, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure what the starting status of Martin, Marlon Humphrey still is, but might not bite them too bad this week. But I also know like Rocky, like the, these corners have been playing pretty decent for, for who they are as well. So like, uh, I, I don't know, man. Um, but there are definitely plays on the middle of the field. We'll see if they can start finding them. Yeah, it's very interesting. So, so I guess kind of flipping it to the Ravens defensive side of the ball through that same perspective, um, the Ravens play defense in a way where to me, it feels like everything they do structurally, the ways that they, and I, I've talked about this on our show, the way they play structure, pay draft is to force you to throw the ball in front of their safeties over the middle of the field. They want their cornerbacks to play depth and be able to feel protected or sit under and trust their safeties to, to kind of have those deep halves, deep quarters, or uh, thirds ultimately to, to rotate, roll coverage. Um, the Ravens love, so Deshaun Watson likes to hold the ball. 
Well, the Ravens love to change their post-snap look from their pre-snap mm -hmm. picture. They love to roll coverage. They love to disguise coverage. They want to show pressure in the same sense. They want to show and make you think, hey, we might be overloading the left side of the offensive line, and we're going to then bring four rushers to the right side, drop the guys on the left side off into coverage. So a lot of deception, a lot of disguise. So I think that's a really fun chess match of a quarterback that does like to hold the football and does have a solid unit up front. No Jack Conklin, but I think Dewan Jones has looked pretty darn strong in his past set so far. Um, it's, it's a good cohesive five. I mean, Jack Conklin's been in and out of the lineup. He's a good player, but um, you know they've had Wills. They've had uh, Batonio. They've had Teller, all those guys. Um, Nick Harris in and out of there and, and all that difference. Pochick in and out of there. Um, but they've had a strong core there. So I think that's kind of the matchup to watch. When Deshaun Watson holds the football, is he able to make the Ravens pay? Is he going to take three, four sacks, or is it going to be one or two? Um, those those kill possessions. Sacks are like the the cool hot chick now of, of analytics of those being drive killers, and everybody's into that this year from what I see. But uh, in terms of, I guess, injuries, which we didn't go over, you know, you mentioned Marlon Humphrey. I uh, don't think is expected to play in this one. DNP Wednesday and Thursday. David Ajabo and Adafe Owe, both not looking great. Maybe one of them can sneak in on Friday, uh, both with ankles. Marcus Williams, Raven safety, shockingly has chalked a limited day and then a full day of participation on Thursday, who was potentially considering you know, surgery a couple weeks ago after week one. Um, so that's that's kind of what they're looking at. They bring in Kyle Van Noy, and that's that's really it on the defensive side of the ball. So in this one, I'm, I'm looking at you know that, that hold the ball. Um, I, I don't – last week I thought the Colts would struggle a little bit to, to get something going on the ground. I think they did a nice job against – Ravens outside linebackers, they ended up having to use Tavius Robinson and Jeremiah Moon, who haven't really played much in their NFL career. We're able to get those guys to suck in a little bit and then could do some auto zone cutback stuff on inside zone concepts where it's really just going to be a bounce play the whole time, and that's where they're looking to hurt you. So that's that's kind of some of the chess matches I'm looking to there. Um, I'm really much more curious about the other side of the football, and I haven't gotten to watch. I've watched a lot of broadcast of the Browns defense. I think they've been getting a ton of airtime and run and exciting. Jim Schwartz, one of the best defensive minds in football sustained uh, has been dialing up pressure. Some of the numbers I went to to kind of, I guess, switch onto that side of the football. Um, if you have any other thoughts, Corey, please feel free to, to come back to that side if you want it all. But I uh, was just looking through, I, I tried to comb out screens, uh, spikes. I combed out goal line defense, prevent defense. And I found that the, the Browns on middle of the field, close coverages with Grant Delpit, who, looks awesome in the post okay. this year. Awesome, smart, quick, reactive, baiting, um, protecting his corners well. Really just smooth overall, smooth processing, smooth operator, smooth operator. Browns are allowing 3.6 yards per attempt when you filter all of that out, which is the best in the NFL with Grant Delpit playing in the post pretty much. I mean, he's not there every time, but mostly is. Um, when I flipped it to middle of the field open coverages, like two, four, two man, um, six, Browns are allowing, you know, it's 6.4 yards per attempt, which isn't, you know, it's average. It's it's towards the middle of the pack there. So I excluded screen spikes, goal line, all that. Um, was was curious about blitzing when the Browns are rushing five plus. They've allowed 3.5 yards per attempt, the best in football. Um, true pass plays overall, again, excluding RPOs, screens, all of those things. Play action still included in that, but 4.3 yards per attempt allowed so far. They've played, like you mentioned, Joe Burrow, Kenny Pickett, Ryan Tannehill. Um, and I, I think, you know, you can be like, oh, well, Joe Burrow wasn't great or, or things like that, but still 
it just looks like a hyper disciplined unit overall from what I've seen. So wanted to, to get your input on, on, you know, what you've seen in terms of pressure that Jim Schwartz has been utilizing. I saw Schwartz's comments, I think as of today, where, hey, we're going to come after Lamar Jackson. We're not going to sit back and uh, let him, you know, make us chase a chicken. We're going to go try and run him down before he gets out of the, the hen house there. So uh, interesting, interesting to be that forward. But, hey, I mean, I love it. Jim Schwartz is an attacking mindset as a defensive coordinator, always has been. Um, Ravens saw Gus Bradley last week, who they have quite a bit of history with, with Lamar Jackson. Jim Schwartz, not so much. I think the Eagles 2020, the Ravens saw him, had an up and down day offensively, um, able to create some explosive plays. But what have you seen from this Browns defense so far? What has really stood out to you as the, the Jim Schwartz difference thus far? Yeah, I mean, you started with Grant Delpit, so I'll start with Grant Delpit. Just that dude is playing some unreal football right now. Um, and if you look at his snap counts, man, on like PFF, like he's playing a pretty even amount in the box, in the slot, and over the top, and he's doing it all at a super high level. Like uh, he's he's one of their better downhill tacklers. He gets the flat in a hurry. Uh, he does have that range over the top. Uh, and then they they obviously brought in Juan Thornhill to kind of be a true post safety for them this year because that's something they've they've really lacked um in, in recent years is that that kind of post safety so um it's been a lot of fun on the back end and, and you know this browns defense a year ago was known for just absolutely butchering coverages like at least one a game you could be like yep there's the blown coverage um and then that hasn't been the case a lot a lot and i think it has a lot to do with jim schwartz as opposed to joe woods allowing these defensive backs who the collective is probably the best in the nfl uh, if not a top three unit in the NFL of Denzel Ward, Martin Emerson, Greg Newsom, Grant Delpit, and uh, Juan Thornhill is not like a, a household name, but like, that's a sturdy vet. That's a $7 million a year safety, you know, like a sturdy player. Uh, he's an, he's an, I mean, he's an athlete. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a certified athlete in terms of explosiveness and uh, just being able to be a track athlete, run, jump, playing space, all those things. Mm -hmm, for sure. And so what they're doing is they're, they're just running a lot of cover one. Like they're not disguising it. They're just coming up and throwing, throwing corners in the faces of receivers. And that's allowing these pass rushers to get pressure and to get home. Uh, I mean, I've never seen Jamar Chase and T Higgins look as pedestrian as I saw them week one. And that had little time. I mean, Joe, again, Joe Burrow wasn't great, but like even on, you know, plays, they weren't targeted. Like there's no separation with these guys. Uh, so it, it, that's been pretty fun to watch. And I think that's allowing guys to get home again. Miles Garrett only needs two seconds to get home. You know, <laughs> Zedaria Smith only needs three seconds to get home, but uh, so they, they can, they, they clearly have the talent to just do pretty much whatever they want up front. But, but again, Jim Schwartz is always good at disguising pressure as well. Uh, he's doing a good job of, you know, it, it, you know, if they're, weaknesses at center we'll, we'll put miles garrett of the center if it's third and medium second and long you know we'll put miles garrett of the center and we'll let ogbo okoronkwo take the other end and you know zadarius smith can bookend uh they'll do zadarius inside with okoronkwo and miles outside you know they've got alex wright who's a, a pretty darn good uh second year player uh power rusher and, and predominantly run defender but he got his first career sack last week from the inside so um and I think it also helps when you look at the defensive tackle room a year ago versus now, like it was by far the worst defensive tackle room. You're starting Taven Bryan and Jordan Elliott. And now you have Dalvin Tomlinson, Shelby Harris, Mo, Her Mo Hurst, Jordan Elliott is, you know, he's playing half the snaps, which is great. And a third of the snaps, which is great. Uh, but he even looks serviceable now in that kind of role. So I'm a little worried about Lamar Jackson, just because again, when you are over aggressive, uh, especially rushing the passer that, that can, you know, the, the Browns love what they say is, the, their linebackers are there to correct. So they just want their defensive line to crash and they want their second level to correct based off of what they see happening up front. Uh, 
which can that that might hurt you a little bit with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. If you're just pinning your ears back and trying to get after him, like you, you might create some creases. Yes, I think JOK Jeremiah Wusu Cormo is explosive enough to to you know correct again if, if if Lamar gets out. But but Anthony Walker, Sione Takitaki both had season-ending lower body injuries a year ago, so I, I'm not as confident in them uh, to you know beat Lamar to the boundary or be able to contain. So that worries me a little bit. It's a completely different style of, of quarterback. But, but Lamar's also been playing really well from the pocket, uh, especially that Cincinnati game. I know he kind of fell off a little bit last week, but that Cincinnati game, he's playing really well from the pocket. He's throwing the ball down the field from the pocket. So uh, it, it's just a whole different beast that, the, that, that this Browns defense hasn't seen yet. Yeah, it is a much different offense. And uh, I was kind of curious on your thoughts on what you had seen lately and, and what you're curious about and getting you know, an outside perspective. We actually hadn't really – uh, on our show yet had any outside perspective at all. So I wanted to, to kind of get your notes and, and what you had seen so far. You're very familiar, of course, with Lamar Jackson, a lot of the, the same faces there. Um, the Browns defensively have, I think, uh, what it was Greg Newsom, I think, was on the injury report, and he's fine, full practice Thursday. Yep. I, I don't think he was ever supposed to be anything. So a full Their entire 53 practice today. So that's, yep. that, that's huge. So <laughs> It definitely is. So when, when you're looking at this Ravens team, what has stood out to you? What do you have questions about? What, what do you uh, – offense, I should say, what do you have, you know, uh, confidence in if you're the Browns? What are you fearful of if you're the Browns? So, I mean, my confidence goes back to the Browns secondary against, especially with, with Odell Beckham Jr. and Rashad Bateman yet to practice this week. Uh, um, I think my, my confidence lies there again, considering what they've done against guys like uh, Jamar Chase T. Higgins to then pivot that to say like, they might see Zay Flowers and Nelson Aguilar. Not to say that OBJ or Bateman won't play, but um, and even, even if they do play, uh, I, I still would have some confidence uh, in the defensive backs versus the, the Baltimore wide receivers. And then obviously I'm looking up front just again how creative J Jim Schwartz has been at isolating Miles Garrett along the interior or from wide nine. You know, Ronnie Stanley is Ronnie Stanley uh, when he's healthy, uh, but they're not afraid to kick Miles to the right side. They're not afraid to kick Miles in the interior. So um, you know, I feel like that's so much different this year. Miles has pretty much been on that left tackle over that right side so much over the last few years. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're looking at, you know, potentially Miles versus Morgan Moses or Miles versus John Simpson, that's a little bit different than just trying to key in on like, oh, what's a key matchup, Miles versus Ronnie Stanley? Well, there's a good chance that Miles and Ronnie Stanley might have like a handful of matchups in this game. So, um, those are kind of the two places I look. I'm not, you know, I like Tyler Linderbaum a bunch, but I think if you can get into his frame a little bit, you know, if you put Miles Garrett right over top of him or is it Darius Smith right over top of him, I, I think he is susceptible in his anchor a, a little bit. I think he's gotten a lot better, but uh, so I, I would say there, you know, the, the Ravens run games, the Ravens run game. You can plug any running back back there and they're going to average four yards of carry on you. Like that, that's kind of, his, but especially Gus Edwards, I, I like Gus Edwards. Um, it's not JK Dobbins, but. So I think, I think the Ravens are going to get theirs on the ground. I think Lamar is going to create chunk plays. I think you have to try to limit those chunk plays um, the best that you can. Uh, but I, I, I would go back to then, you know, OBJ Bateman. If your receivers are Aguilar and Zay Flowers, those, those are two dudes who aren't necessarily going to intimidate you over the top, I would say. Yeah, um, I'm curious. I think Zay Flowers has shown some really strong separation ability against press and his releases, some of those things. The Ravens last week, uh, we talked about this on our, our kind of review episode that released on Wednesday morning, but Todd Munkin, I would say the most stark difference in what stands out to me, what the Ravens have typically done, what are they doing now? Todd Munkin called 17 in fourth, the fourth quarter in overtime against the Colts, 17 five-man protections. 
against, or excuse me, there were 17 pass plays. 11 of them were five-man protections. The Ravens facing a very stout Colts front that has some premier players on it. DeForest Buckner, I think Quiddy Pay is really sharp. I think they've, they've got some dogs. I think Samson Ebicom is one of the most underrated players in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. And those were mismatches. Hey, there was no Ronnie Stanley. Hey, there was no Tyler Linderbaum. But Greg Roman is someone that likes six-man, seven-man protection, likes to use a Pat Ricard, likes to use a, a, tight, a second tight end. They had Nick Boyle for years. Munkin hasn't shown much of a propensity for that, wants to go fast, wants to get three receivers on the field. Um, Gus Edwards goes down. They don't have Justice Hill. Neither of those guys are really high-level pass protectors. Honestly, Melvin Gordon has made a living doing that in his career and, and was okay there but still hasn't played a ton in this offense, was his first snaps last week. So uh, my question for this game is, are you going to do the the Albert Einstein stolen quote of the definition of stupidity against a tenacious pass rush that's creative and is bringing pressure, Miles Garrett, Zedarius Smith, um, and, and, and the boys coming through? Are you going to ask your five-man front? Kevin Zeitler has struggled a ton this year. This has been the worst football I've seen Kevin Zeitler play probably in his career so far through the first three weeks, has been late on stunts, confused. Uh, it looks just co- uncomfortable getting off the ball at times. I'm not sure if he's injured, playing through some pain, what, whatever's going on. You're familiar with Kevin Zeitler. He's been in the mm-hmm. AFC North for, I don't know, 12 years now. Um, so I, I'm just curious. Your offensive line of Ronnie Stanley, let's say it does look like both of those players, Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, trending to play. Uh, pro- I think Ronnie Stanley probably could have played last week. They are super careful with him from – his injury history, but I think you're going to get the starting five that they anticipated, Stanley, Simpson, Linderbaum, Zeitler, and Moses, who have played maybe 40 snaps together so far this season. So how is that unit going to be expected to hold up against the most effective unit in the NFL right now, rushing the passer? I would say it's probably the Browns and the Eagles. So are you going to have a Pat Ricard come in and help out. Are you who was only on the field for two pass plays last year, last week? Uh, are you going to keep in a Charlie Kohler, Isaiah Likely, who haven't looked good doing it anyway? Um, I don't know what the answer is there. Munkin wants to run tempo, wants to to get up. I think how do you slow down a pass rush? Well, you either get, the ball, <laughs> get the ball out or you add blockers. And to me, I don't know that the Ravens. Tempo is the other answer I was going to say. You go fast. You can kind of erase pressure. The Ravens always are a huge pressure defense themselves. When teams go faster, smarter, veteran quarterbacks go fast. Limits what you can disguise. Limits your ability to communicate, bluff, do all of those things. So can this offense that is down Rashad Bateman, Odell Beckham, the backs have been in and out, the offensive line's been mod- hodgepodge switching up. Can you comfortably go tempo? I think that is there's, – there's two answers to the qu- equation. Add more blockers. Get the ball out quicker, which the Browns aren't going to let you do. They want to play cover one, cover three press. So I don't think that's an answer. Or are you going to you know, expect uh, this unit to cohesively go up tempo? And I expect Munkin to push tempo. I think that's maybe a little bit more of a let's get those reps in now so they pay off later. Maybe lose the battle to win the war this week um, kind of thing. But you either got to add blockers or go tempo if you're the Baltimore Ravens. Um, running the ball helps. The Browns front which now has like you mentioned uh some real they've got Dalvin Tomlinson, Mo Hurst, Jordan Elliott and Shelby Harrison there uh clogging up between the B gaps so that's a, a tall task again that offensive line doesn't have a ton of cohesion but 
Lamar Jackson does add that element that has scorned the Browns in the past. And I think that's why you bring in Jim Schwartz to do what the Steelers have done. Take the football out of his hand, uh, surf and you know, crash and surf, lever and spill on Jackson on quarterback run concepts, make him get the ball out of his hands, let the backs hurt you because they're not as explosive in space. And I think that's kind of what we've seen the Steelers do over the last four or five years to Lamar Jackson to a ton of success. And that's kind of where I'm looking. Um, the Ravens have to generate explosive plays. If you can't generate explosive plays on this Browns defense, you're dead. They're going to tee off. Um, they, their DBs are physical. They're going to press you. So it's a, a war of attrition. I think Mark Andrews is the guy you're looking to. I, I think Todd Munkin said today that he thinks Andrews is finally fully 100% truly healthy. I think those were the exact words for the first time since before he hurt his quad towards the end of camp. So um, that's got to be your difference maker. But I, I think with Odell Beckham or Rashad Bateman out, what are the Browns going to do? Probably have their hook defender and their their robber or their rat or their post safety in those situations tilt towards him. So it's going to come down to can you run tempo and can you hurt the Browns with your receiving core? That's where they're going to try to force you to play. If I was Jim Schwartz, I think that's what I would do. And it sounds like that's what he intends to do anyway. So uh, definitely seems like a, a fun battle for a new defensive scheme in Cleveland. What is, what is, as you look back towards the, the first three weeks of the season, what have been the, the most exciting revelations, moments, plays, things that have gotten you fired up as we're, we're edging towards a, not a quarter of the season, but almost under the books after this game, what are, what are you looking towards to see in this matchup on both sides of the ball, Corey? Yeah. So again, I think Dilpit's going to see a healthy dose of if, if they are just going to, you know, run cover one, cover three, which I anticipate they will, uh, especially with no Bateman or OBJ. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Dilpit on Andrews. And I think that matchup kind of excites me quite a bit. Um, I mean, right now Denzel Ward's playing the best football of his career. Like he, I, I've watched quite a bit of football, I would say, and I, I would put Denzel Ward up there and through three weeks. Like that's a grain of salt. It's way too early of a sample size to be making broad overarching statements, but he looks like maybe the best corner in football through three weeks. I would say just the way he's triggering downhill in the run game, the way he's just, he's, I mean, he's locking, locking dudes up, no separation. Um, so I, that, that just goes back to, they're going to try to get the ball to Andrews and that's, that's Delpit territory. You know, you might see JOK a little bit, but they, 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 they've let JOK just kind of work, you know, curl flat work downhill uh, quite a bit because he's really explosive doing so. So uh, I don't think he's going to turn his back and try to robot out or carry, carry Andrews down the seam a whole lot. So, uh, Delpit Andrews is, is what I'm excited to watch. Um, I think an area going back to the offensive side of the ball with, with the Browns that concerns me a little bit because it's, it's been a thing in the past is, as you mentioned that, uh, the, the Ravens are really creative at disguising pre to, to post snap. Um, and the Browns have really struggled with double, double mug looks against the Ravens for whatever reason, like it's, it's, it's a trend. Um, the, the Ravens will throw both those middle linebackers in the a gap and, and, and the Browns can't figure out how to pick it up like pre-snap. They can't call it out post-snap. They can't pick it up. And that's really caused them some issues. Um, and they have two pretty, pretty darn good linebackers, I would say. So, um, I think that's, that's kind of my main concern. Um, again, they're not going to stretch it wide because you have two pretty darn good linebackers. You can get wide. So, uh, I'm interested to see if they can win that battle along the interior. And if, if they do do some of that, the, the more inside zone stuff um, that, that I'm hoping to see, uh, I would say that's, that's what's most, most exciting that, that I'm looking forward to. Um, I, I would love it if the quarterback can stack more than one game in a row of, of looking like he has in the past, uh, that's yet to happen in a Browns uniform. So um, I guess I'm spilling out more things that I'm antsy about than excited about, but, but those are the kinds of things that I'll be, that I'll be watching closely. Definitely. My kind of question too, 
without Nick Chubb and and hey, Amari Cooper is a hell of a player. He he's a a true technician in terms of what he does at the stem, what he does to create separation. And I don't want to call them simple routes, but maybe more common routes, the ways that he can just consistently win. I'm just curious, do the Browns have, in this game especially, you mentioned those linebackers, Kyle Hamilton, Marcus Williams. We'll see which outside linebackers play. The Ravens have a lot of dynamic athletes in space that can rally well. Their defensive line really moves to the football. Um, I also would like to just shout out what Justin Matabike has done to Wyatt Teller the last couple of years. It's yeah. it's it's truly an anomaly. Justin Matabike is the Achilles heel of Wyatt Teller. Uh, he's one of my draft crushes. Uh, we talked about this when you hopped on my podcast, yes, the yes. AFC Primer. Like, like Travis Jones, Matabike, uh, Ojabo. Like every single draft crush I feel like I have ends up in a Baltimore uniform. Definitely. So I'm just curious. <laughs> The Browns, like I said, hey, they like to they like to use misdirection screens, come back, double screens. They'll they'll have a receiver go throw the ball in a reverse, whatever. Um, this really, it's just the screens. They're so good. They're so multiple. They're so good. There's so much you have to stay home on. They make you stay home on the backside so effectively because of those screens. But who is going to hurt? You know, after the catch, down the field, make the it's the battle of explosive plays. I think looking on both sides of the ball. The Browns' defense right now is playing out of their mind. They're schemed up. They have the athletes. They have the tenacity. You know, the Ravens, I think, maybe have a little more firepower, a little bit more explosive athletes than the Browns do, but are still probably in the negative against the Browns' defense. It feels like the same thing on the other side of the football. So my question um, at the end of this matchup is, is who is – or I think this game will be determined. You know, there's turnovers, all those things, sacks, turnovers, so on and so forth. But – Whoever can create more explosive plays, 15-yard runs, 20-plus-yard passing plays, I think walks away with this game. Um, I guess to kind of lay down a prediction, I, I think that it's going to be really a matter of if Lamar Jackson's on confident, getting to the top of his drop, getting the ball out on time, and, and willing to push the ball downfield despite you know press coverage, things like that. If the Ravens can move the pocket, add some extra blockers, go tempo, do those things. So... Uh, I think this game comes down to a one-score game. I think we see mm -hmm. two teams that are kind of really trying to win games the same way mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter, able to kind of drain the clock, get pat, get pressure, those things. They're they're really not teams. I think that are the Mike McDaniel's, the you know the the Andy Reeds of the world. Let's score 40, 50 points. I think they're trying to score a little over twenty points and kill you on the defensive side of the ball. So I think this is going to be a slugfest. Um, the Browns are very healthy. The Ravens were able to play a tough game against the Bengals. I just think Jim Schwartz might have some things for Lamar Jackson that maybe he hasn't seen or that the Ravens are unprepared for more. So I think Jim, a big reason to bring Jim Schwartz in is to beat the Ravens and think about the Ravens in the offseason. So I think maybe the Browns take this one. I like to pick weird numbers on our podcast. We always try to pick like borderline scoregamis. I'm going to go Browns, Browns 22, Ravens 20 i'm gonna go ravens 21 22 21 browns uh maybe coming down to a kick something of the sort late in this game um i i don't know the the spread's close if it was in baltimore the ravens might be favorites i uh, i think it's going to be a, a super tough matchup but i think at the end of the day again it's going to come down to which offense can generate explosive plays defensive pass interference is included in that so whatever can flip the field um turnovers all of those things but uh, yeah I think I might go with the Browns to uh, to take this one. Everybody to freak out about Todd Munkin in Baltimore and then the Ravens to maybe find their mojo against the Steelers next week. 
It's interesting that you mentioned penalties as well, because Amari Cooper did get did create three down the field penalties as well yep. last week against uh, against the Titans. So uh, he's still finding ways to get open to the point where, where their defenders are still grabbing his jersey. So um, you're right about the explosive plays. And that's kind of what scares me a little bit, because outside of, you know, the busted coverage and then the one deep ball to Amari, like the Browns haven't created explosive plays. They had a really nice tendency beater where, you know, when teams see empty and the Browns put a running back out wide where they're trying to see is a corner out there on him or a linebacker deciphering McMahon zone. They usually just have the running back run a slant and they had to run forward, run a sluggo <laughs> as a tendency beater and got wide open. You know, the linebacker. I saw that. Slant. He was on the, I think on the uh, boundary at the top of, he was, he was to mm-hmm. the maybe the weak side boundary. Yeah. So they're doing some tendency break. Like I'm hoping, you know, that dismal lot, like no, no reason to lose that game to the Steelers. The offense surrendered more points than the defense did in that game. Just it's an embarrassing loss to do that on Monday night football. And I really hope that did cause them to go back to the drawing board and be like, all right, we got to, we got to rethink some things like what's going on. We don't have Nick Chubb anymore. Um, Because I mean, it looked a lot better in terms of moving the ball down the field along the boundary. Again, got to get over the middle. Uh, Speaking of explosive plays, like David and Joku's average depth of target is still like five yards. And I don't understand it because he is probably the most athletic tight end in the NFL. Like he's a national championship winning high jumper. Uh, you know, he runs a four five, like he's, he's super athletic. Uh, but for, um, he's just like there for screens. He's, he's turned into a, an unbelievable blocker, uh, which for early in his career, you wouldn't have thought that, but he's turned into an, an unbelievable blocker, but they're not utilizing him up the seam. Uh, they're not utilizing him out wide. So I'm, I'm interested to see if they, they start to incorporate Njoku a little bit more in their passing attack. I mean, they're paying him like a top seven, top eight tight end. So, uh, you'd hope they start to do some of that stuff, but I'm with you. I think it's a really close game. I think I said something like 28, 27. So I'm on the same page as you. The Browns haven't scored 30 points yet. I don't have a reason to envision they will score 30 points. So um, I'm, I'm going to say something similar. I, I'm going to take the Browns as well, like 28, 27. And I'm, I'm again, Lamar Jackson. And, and I think I might've been, you know, maybe I was mistaken. It looks like all I know is that each of the last three games, there's been almost or an unforced fumble two in two of those three games from Lamar Jackson. Uh, he made comments this week, you know, he has to be better work on ball straight. He's like, oh, I got the ball got hit. He has been hesitating, doing weird stuff with the ball in the pocket. Mm-hmm. So um, turnovers, you know, I, I'll say if the Ravens win, it's because they don't have any unforced turnovers, maybe a tip ball interception. Sure, fine, whatever. Um, can't afford to turn the football over to this Browns offense. That, like I said, doesn't really strike you without Nick Chubb, especially as explosive and give them a short field, give them points, allow them to will their way into a touchdown on a short field, things like that. So if the Ravens win this one, I think it's it's a turnover-free or unforced error-free day offensively. And on the other side of the ball, the, the, the Browns just can't figure out how to flip the field much. So um, that's what I think results in a Ravens win. And with that, I guess that's that's an episode. So if you're, you're listening to this on the Exit 52 feed, make sure – to, uh, to go support and like and do everything Corey's doing as well. Go check him out on Twitter at FakeCoreyKinnon. You can find the Exit 52 podcast if you're looking for Ravens, Orioles coverage, everything like that at Exit 52 on Twitter. Uh, like, subscribe, support the boys, support everything that both Corey's doing over at Browns Wire and we are doing over here. So, Corey, appreciate you so much. It's fun chopping it up with you, just having a nice nice therapeutic uh, rambling of us, just talking some some schemes, some ball. So, Thinks, uh, I think we'll, we're both expecting a very close one and let the uh, let the, the kind of gritty cities of Cleveland and Baltimore dig it out in this. The gritty cities. We're not talking about the Philly, uh, the, the, the gritty, the flyer, the, excuse me, the Phillies. We're not talking about Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase or any of those guys. We're talking about real grit, Dan Campbell grit. So with that, 
Appreciate you guys. We'll uh, we'll get us out of here with that and see you guys on the other side. See ya.